Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back to the Equipping You podcast. This is the final episode of season four. It's episode 10, and you're hearing Alan Rathbun talk to you, not Terry Smith. I am the Eastern PA District Director of Multiplication, uh, and I'm talking today because Terry is going to be on the other side of the microphone. We'll be interviewing him and our fellow good friend, Dwayne Stein, who is also my fellow alum of Northern High School in Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, the home of the dropped pickle on New Year's Eve. Uh, But we're going to be talking to Terry and Dwayne today uh, about God using them back in their days together in Emmanuel Church to revitalize a church that had really hit hard times, and then their ministry together in Eastern PA, developing the changing course consultation and how God has revitalized churches through that. And then, yes, a taste of the future when we're going to talk about how that is going to be helped helping churches nationwide in the Alliance. And so we're looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I'm coming to you from Middletown, PA, just a hop, skip, and a jump from Chocolate Town, USA, the best smelling place in all of America. Uh, and I have Caitlin, our producer, with me here. Shout out to you, Caitlin, because you're awesome. She is not with me, though, here in Middletown. She is in Colorado Springs. It's true, but I am, I will say, I mean, PA is great, Alan, but I am a Jersey girl first and foremost, so you've got to be very careful. You're you're treading on some uh, shallow waters here. Well then, Jersey girl, I'm sorry to say to you that I am not making a shout out to Wawa today. Instead, I'm inviting everybody to sit back, relax, and grab an orange iced tea from Turkey Hill, or if that's not good enough for you, make a sheets run and be done because we're going to have a great conversation with Terry Smith and Dwayne Stein. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here, and I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you, and we think you're really going to love it. If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. We can't wait to see you there. Well, my, how the tables have turned. (laughs) I get to interview Terry today. Scary. This is scary. (laughs) It is scary, Terry. That's right. And my coworker, who is literally sitting across the hall from me in his office, Dwayne Stein. Uh, So for the first time in Equipping You podcast history, half of the people participating are located in central Pennsylvania. So wow. this is balance of power has shifted. <laughs> you know, I know you guys all too well. Terry 
uh, is known by Caitlin, maybe better than she wishes sometimes. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Alan. But a lot of our <laughs> listeners don't know Dwayne, and Caitlin doesn't know Dwayne that well. So I would really like to hear Dwayne tell the story about how the two of you met and served in ministry together. Dun, dun, dun. So when I met Terry was when he first came to the church that I've attended all my life. The first coming um, of Terry Smith. Yeah, the first coming, yes. Um, <clears throat> he came and became the pastor of our church and then talked me into being an elder at our church. I knew this would be part of the story. <laughs> yes, of course it has to be. I asked it. At the... Um, I, I don't even know if it was the first elder meeting when I was an officially an elder. It might have actually been a specially called meeting prior to the first meeting is when Terry submitted his resignation to <laughs> the church to leave. So I thanked him profusely okay. for that, um, that introduction to being an elder. So, so then he uh, went on to other ministry and then um, we were in a, in a spot with our church for a while and eventually looking for another pastor and uh, still staying in touch with Terry and then had the privilege of seeing him come back uh, in 2006 to Emmanuel, uh, which we call the second coming of Terry Smith. Um, and at that point, um, we got to disconnect on a number of levels uh, there as him being the pastor, me being one of the, the members of the church and serving the church. That was our initial meeting, how I got into working with ministry. Do you want me to take, do you want me to go to the next step with that or? Sure. So the next, next step is I was kind of, I was leading the youth ministry at the time uh, before Terry came and then he had hired a youth pastor and then that kind of, that guy left on to other ministries. So we were at another transitional stage here in the youth area. And Terry asked me to go out for lunch one day uh, I had an idea, anyways, what that meeting was going to be about, because God was already doing a work in my heart about a transition in my own life uh, from a full-time running my own company uh, and so forth into a potential ministry. So we sat down for lunch uh, one afternoon, and he asked if he if I would consider coming on to the church in a role of director of student ministries, which I said I would be happy to I thought I've been thinking about that a lot because I felt like God was kind of laying that on my heart too. Uh, I remember his one comment, which I thought was pretty funny, was he said, "I don't know how we're going to match your salary at your business that you make at the company." I said, "Well, I'm sure you won't," <laughs> but that was uh, still felt that that's kind of what God was calling me to do. So I promised him that I couldn't match it, and I've been true to that word. <laughs> it's been true. <laughs> So uh, the following year, uh, that wouldn't take too long, we came on part-time and eventually and before the end of that year was up, uh, full-time uh, working together at the church, moved from that position of director of student ministries into an assistant pastor role. Uh, and then eventually uh, he got uh, elected to be at the district, to move toward the, the district superintendent position. And he asked me to follow him there. And I uh, graciously served beside him, under him. Uh, at the uh, district office. Are you telling me then that Terry has a habit of calling you into leadership and then leaving once you start leaving? <laughs> yeah, I didn't go into that part, but uh, I was going to say he left again then. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's pretty much what he does. <laughs> All right, Terry, we'll finally give you a chance to give some input here. So um, 
you and Dwayne shared ministry at Emmanuel, both when he was a lay person and then when he was your assistant. Uh, talk about the the ministry that was going on out of which changing course principles were forged. Yeah. I came back the second time uh, to Emmanuel Church in Mechanicsburg, PA, Christian Missionary Alliance Church, January 1st, 2006. And uh, I think Dwayne would agree that the church was at a pretty low ebb. It had dropped from 500 down to about 115 or so and had Sundays where it had under 100. And uh, I think it had an uncertain future and hope was uh, at a low ebb. But God very clearly called uh, Ruth and me back there. While we didn't stay long the first time, we loved the people and loved the church. And so uh, we had the privilege of... Dwayne and I and Rick Shell and uh, Javier Godoy and a few others that work with us had the privilege of seeing God really do a, a work of miraculous turnaround, revitalization uh, at uh, Emmanuel in uh, over about an eight and a half year period of time, took it back up to about 225 people, plus the uh, planting of a Spanish-speaking church in our building, plus we were able to lead the charge for uh, Alliance Churches in the Harrisburg area to plant a church that at the time was called Heart of Harrisburg, now the Rock Church. Yeah, Alan, you were a big part of that. And uh, so we saw subtraction go to addition, go to multiplication. And uh, there's even more to that story of multiplication, but I don't have time to tell it uh, today. But in what we did there, what God led us to do, and what God did there, uh, you know, the whole idea of writing the book for uh, Changing Course uh, came about, and uh, eventually the development of the Changing Course Consultation, which was designed to take uh, what what happened at Emmanuel and try to apply those principles to help other churches. That's great, and I think that leads me kind of to ask then, you know, now that you are the VP after leaving both Dwayne and I, and he's yeah, okay, yeah, uh, and he's not bitter about it at all. I can tell. Nor am I. Well, Caitlin, for what it's worth, you did leave him. Uh, and move to development from church. But we're not talking about me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Seriously though, you know, you, you, now you oversee church ministries for all the Christian missionary Alliance in the United States. And yet the lessons you learned in Emmanuel are now ones that you can see have value for our churches in the Alliance. How, how is that time at Emmanuel helping you be the VP of the, CM in the Alliance. Yeah. So uh, a lot of churches in the Alliance, like Emmanuel, uh, you know, two-thirds of our churches are plateaued and declining. Maybe the decline isn't as steep as it was at Emmanuel over a decade, going from 500 to 115. But uh, a lot of churches are stuck. And, uh, you know, part of part of why I believe God called me into this role is a passion to see uh, churches uh, turned around and uh, revitalized. You know, I'm grieved that um, we have fewer churches than we did a few years ago in the Alliance, that we are seeing fewer inclusive members in our church, not drastic numbers, but smaller numbers still, smaller numbers of conversion, smaller numbers of baptisms. And what happened at Emmanuel gives me hope that it can happen other places. If God can do it through me and God can do it through Duane, Uh, God can do it through others. And if God can do it in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, God can do it in other places as well. So, you know, there's hope in my heart because of what I've seen God do, uh, especially at Emmanuel, 
but in other places as well. And as I've heard you say, even just recently, hope is a precious commodity in church revitalization. I believe that is true, and I believe that was on episode four of season four. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) So, Dwayne, by my count, which isn't entirely, uh, you know, in detail, uh, you've probably now done actual more changing course consultations than Terry has. That is true. Even though he wrote the book Changing Course, you've spent a lot of times with churches in our district and even helping other district leaders get a grasp on this stuff. So what, in your mind, causes a church to slip into plateau or decline? And then what do they need to be able to experience turning around? Well, one of the things that I've seen a number of times in it breaks my heart when I see it, uh, is this feeling that they've arrived. Uh, I've watched a a specific church I can point to in my hometown, Alliance Church, that I watched its entire life cycle. And I saw them start by meeting in a a borrowed building, you know, and setting up chairs every day and, and, and reaching their community and building people around them and going to a point where they finally uh, got their own piece of property and then built their own building. But once they did that and settled in, they kind of felt like they arrived and then they kind of like took the foot off the accelerator and kind of went into coast mode for a while. And just that, that turn, that switch of, of, uh, of focus tends to then move more inward. And then you see them thinking more about what they want, not necessarily about the people around them or the people outside of their walls may want. And then they start changing the way they do their programming in their, in their, music and everything to satisfy their personal desires instead of that vision that God has for them. They settle into like a programming type of mentality, you know, well, this worked before, so surely it will work again. We'll just do the same thing we've done uh, for all the other years in the past. And what tends to happen is you see this slow creep that people just start, they don't even notice sometimes. People start, stop coming, then people start leaving, and you just see this complete decline. I've watched that whole cycle with that church to the point where two years ago it uh, it closed its doors. So that shift of focus, that outward focus that comes inward focus is probably one of the, the biggest things um, that I see that actually causes them to slip into that in, in that sense that they've arrived. But then, and so literally, what how to get out of that? It requires that shift again. It literally requires that shift towards outward focus, towards really getting on our knees and finding out what God wants us to do to reach our community for those lost people around us. Um, find out what breaks our heart in our community and actually move towards that instead of towards our personal desire. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Thanks. So Terry, talk about the important characteristics of a course change leader. What traits does that pastor need to have uh, if he's going to develop and lead a church to turn around? Yeah. So uh, leadership is essential, in my opinion. It's very important in every church, uh, very important church plant, but absolutely important in revitalization as well. And, uh, you know, if a leader doesn't have all of these characteristics at, uh, at the max, uh, some of them at least, he can work on them and improve them. But uh, I certainly don't have them all at the max. But starts with that the, the leader needs to love the people that he's called to serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, my leadership motto for years has been leadership is based on trust and trust is built on loving relationships. You say that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 
if you don't love people and give them an opportunity to love you, there, no trust develops. And where there's no trust, there's no opportunity for leadership. So I think it's easy to become sour on the people that you're leading and serving as a pastor. And if that's the case, your church needs to turn around and you don't like your people. One of two things needs to happen. You need to get on your face before Jesus and ask that he would pour love into your heart for those people. And if you're not willing to do that, quite frankly, talk to your district superintendent and maybe it's time to to go someplace else because it's not going to work. One of the great things about Emmanuel in my mind is we lost very few of the people who were uh, part of the remnant uh, when I came. In fact, most of the people we lost went on to heaven. Uh, we, we did more funerals and we, we, we saw uh, departures. And I love that. I love that the people got the opportunity to experience and see what God did, to be a part of that, to serve in that uh, uh, new uh, revitalized uh, situation. So uh, loving the people is uh, very important. I had a lady that come, came up to me about two months into Emmanuel, uh, Linda Nussbaum, who said to me, we just needed a pastor and wife who would love us. And uh, we didn't have to, we have to work that up because, you know, the Holy Spirit had put a deep love in our heart for the people. Uh, when we talked to Ken Pretty uh, in session two, we talked about this church planner plus deal. I've, I've taken the term, but I've probably stuffed the skin with new stuff. And uh, so uh, the church planner piece, it's very helpful if a revitalization or changing course pastor uh, communicates well communicates vision well, communicates well in one-to-one conversations, and communicates the Word of God well uh, from the pulpit. Uh, He he needs to be a people-oriented leader. So uh, in IDAC terminology, we talk about familiar group or multi-relational. There's also singular relational. Singular relational doesn't exactly equate to an introvert, but it's kind of like that a little bit. There's some parallels there. And if you don't like being around people, you're probably not going to be able to lead a, a revitalization church. You, you, you need to be able to develop relationships well with new people as they come in, as well uh, as well as the people uh, that are there. So you need to be multi-relational or familiar group relational. Uh, An initiating leader. So IDAC talks about the developing initiating talent. I mean, you got to start new things. You got to start new ministries, outreach ministries especially. So at Emmanuel, uh, we got involved in. Uh, the street fair that was half a mile from the church every year that had 60 to 80,000 people uh, half a mile from our church. And uh, we, we got involved in doing a community fun fair. I can't remember what we call these community fun day, community fun day. Uh, <laughs> uh, on the parking lot of the church. And uh, you know, so initiating these new ministries, especially ministries that, that are outward facing toward the, uh, toward lost people. Some of the plus, you got to work like crazy. I mean, uh, ministry is hard, period. But turnaround church ministry or changing course ministry is is uh, all the more work. So you're going to do more than you think you need to do, and and maybe do more than you want to do. Uh, and you can't do it alone. But you got to set the example, and uh, then get other people involved and mobilize them too. Patience required. We talked about that with Ken Pretty in session four. It takes time to revitalize the church. Maybe year six or seven, I begin to feel like, yeah, this thing, this thing's going to, going to stabilize. It's going to be all right. It's not going to slip backward. 
And uh, so I was there eight years and seven months uh, before God called me into uh, the district superintendent role. And now Steve Wiggins is there and the church continues to move forward. So sure does. some of these changes, uh, he's doing a good job. He is. He's doing a great job. So, but it, that takes time and it takes patience. You can't turn around church in two years and then leave and try to turn another one. You know, it, it'll slip backwards. And we want it to happen overnight. You really do. I'm not a patient person. God has to give me uh, the patience, but it just takes time. Be lovingly stubborn on certain issues is another characteristic of a, of a leader. Uh, I told a lady one time in one of my churches that I had this trait of godly stubbornness. And uh, she looked at me like I was from outer space. I, she agreed with the stubbornness part. I'm just not sure she agreed with the, the, the godly part. But, you know, you got to be kind. But there are times when you just have to kindly dig in your heels and say, no, this is what we need to do if we're going to really reach our community for Jesus Christ. So those are, in a nutshell, some of the key characteristics of a, of a course change leader. Valuable traits of leadership, for sure. Uh, you know, it's been said that culture is the soil of a church, uh, and that soil really can go bad. And so you talk about, in the book, uh, four culture changes that need to take place. Dwayne, you want to unpack those for us here? Sure. Um, the first one, uh, which you guys mentioned, alluded to just a little bit earlier, is hope. This idea of casting hope for, you know, casting a positive vision for the future. And we look at, that's like such a key element. And I just got to say right off the bat, there was a change, one of the changing course, uh, course meetings we did in particular was this group of older people sitting around a table, a leadership team, honestly, they were tired. They'd been doing it for a long time, and they didn't have much hope. And um, as we were walking through the, the changing course, and they started to change their focus uh, and see that different different vision of the preferred future, um, boy, they just went back, and they could a year later going back, and they still had this a new spring in their step. It was just a, a wonderful thing. So that idea of hope and, and ways of of seeing that hope rekindled in a church. Um, there's lots of ways of doing that. I mean, part of it's uh, just preaching God's word in a, in a hopeful way and, and preaching the faith and the renewal that can come through God's word, uh, celebrating what God is doing in your church. Um, sometimes I know we did it at Emmanuel. We actually um, celebrated any time, you know, when, there was, so when somebody came to Christ or there was a major transformation, boy, we find a way to, to share that testimony. And sometimes just sharing testimonies of people that have been in church for a long time, but just hearing their stories from how they came to Christ a long time ago, those are, they're encouraging, you know, that's neat things. So uh, we always try to, so hope is one of those big keys. And we always ask, a, there's a key question associated with that. We always like to say, how are you as leaders effectively communicating a faith-filled vision for the future? And we kind of impress into that with our, um, uh, with our changing course uh, pastor and leaders as we're walking through. The next one would be um, just outreach and evangelism, uh, connecting with the community. We talked about a little bit earlier, uh, seeking to connect uh, them uh, with Christ and to the church. So, again, we kind of use some of those conversion stories in that opportunity. And um, ideally, of course, we, you know, we can do programs and so forth, but it's that relational um, connection that we really long for and that those organic um, opportunities where people are living life with others and, and 
sharing the gospel, what the gospel does in them, how the gospel is transforming in their world, and also how the, the gospel uh, can be life transformation for them and theirs uh, and reaching out with them. So we doing outreach events. Uh, we had some, we joined together with churches in the, in the community uh, to do a major, major outreach events. Sportsman's Banquet was a great big one that we did. Get a thousand people on uh, a combination of two nights uh, to come out and, and hear a speaker and hear the gospel. A big one is just challenging the pastor and uh, lay leaders uh, to model that lifestyle. A whole lot that we were talking earlier about connecting relationally with lost people uh, and sharing those stories. Terry was great about that from the, the pulpit. He would go out and he would tell us about where he would intentionally stop for coffee in the morning, trying to build a relationship with that guy behind the, the, the counter at the at the coffee location there. And he said it wasn't the, the coffee wasn't that great. He used to always say, um, but he did it intentionally to build a relationship there. And we absolutely and, and doing that from the pulpit was just a, a great thing. So, so our key question we like to ask there is how are you as a church strategically reaching out to lost people in your community? Again, trying to, that's one of the other keys. Uh, third one was a warm and welcoming atmosphere, um, making a good impression on those newcomers. Uh, that whole idea of trying to say, how are people coming into the church and what's their impression? You know, Terry, you have a great story. You'd love to tell about that, about your tale of two churches. You want to tell that here? Or, um, yeah, uh, as briefly as I can, we yeah. uh, visited uh, a church uh, with my mom and dad when we were visiting uh, them and walked in about 20 minutes before the service started and no one spoke to us. Somebody finally did help my wife find the restroom. We sat down, and fourth row maybe, and still nobody talked to us. And finally, about two minutes before the service started, a dear little old lady who should have been in charge of hospitality in this church uh, finally did uh, speak to us. Good sermon, good worship time, uh, service ended, we left, nobody spoke to us. They were around in little clusters talking to one another. And I think if you ask them, are you a friendly church? They would have said, yes, we are. And they were friendly to one another. Mm -hmm. They just weren't friendly uh, to newcomers from our experience, at least from newcomers uh, to newcomers who were, who were uh, coming in. And my dad, you know, he's a people person and, and always likes to see how churches respond to these kinds of situations. So he filled out the visitor's card and the response to that was goose eggs, nothing. A couple of weeks later, they attended another church, visited another church. My mom and dad go to a church regularly, but they visited another church in the area, uh, same denomination, uh, walked into a welcoming group of people in the foyer who uh, greeted them, got to know them, talked to them, uh, good service, you know, same thing after the service, and the next day. Whether you should do this or not, I don't know. But the next day, the church shows up at my mom and dad's house with a gift basket. And my mom and dad love that. So if you're in that area and you're looking for a church and you're visiting those two churches, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the second church. And the important piece of that, you know, my mom and dad already know Jesus. They already have a church. The important piece of that is there are people who need Jesus and there are people who need a church. And if they walk in, and get the cold shoulder, then they may never come back. 
So it's vitally important that we're friendly, not just with one another, but that we're friendly to people who walk in the door who are new. I'm keeping track. You got one more uh, culture change, right, Dwayne? That is correct. You're keeping track well. Um, it's all about worship, celebrating in our worship, this whole idea of corporate, corporately experiencing the presence of the Lord. Uh, lots of times what we find as in our plateau and declining churches, the churches are just kind of going through the motions of worship. Um, so we like to talk about that. We like to talk about the whole idea of adjusting your worship style so it actually matches not, not just your the people that are you currently have, but the people that you'd like to have in your church. Um, so it actually comes into the new century sometimes, uh, literally. <laughs> um, but also, you know, and, and talk about this, that whole idea of, we love talking about how worship um, around the world is extremely different uh, in different cultures and so forth. And we're cool with that. Um, but yet sometimes we have a hard time reaching the different cultures that happen within our own churches uh, just just across the age spectrum, uh, mainly. Um, so that idea of being able to to worship, getting people freedom to worship, um, watch that change at Emmanuel. It was amazing to see people feel the had the the freedom after they were given. They almost had to be given permission, but then we, they had this freedom to actually express themselves in worship and and follow the spirits leading in that, and that was great. So that's it. That was the fourth one is that whole idea. Um, Thank you. That's good stuff. I appreciate you throwing in the questions there too. That key question is important. <clears throat> so you two make a great team. Uh, it was a joy to work with you here in Eastern PA. Dwayne, you were, before you were in full-time ministry, you were a professional engineer. And I use that term professionally because uh, you were an official professional engineer be uh, before that. Uh, so two of you actually made a good team in making a changing course consultation process together. Uh, so uh, I'm going to leave this to either one of you two. Who wants to outline that process for me? We'll, we'll do it together. So uh, oh, right. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. It, it got started before I was in the district. I was working part-time in the district office. District superintendent called me, said, I visited with this church last night. Here's what's happening how can we help them? And so I kind of started spitting out what became the components of the changing course consultation, got back to my office the next day. I was driving at the time, got back to my office the next day and began to chart this out. He said, I like it. So I started doing it, did it about two or three months with another guy who liked doing it so well, he moved overseas to get away from me. <laughs> and so that him, but I won't say his name on air. Yeah, that freed me up to say, hey, Dwayne. I call Dwayne's name a lot in moments of trouble. And uh, hey, Dwayne, uh, you want to do this with me? And so he did. And uh, so we have we did about, I don't know, 14 of those together. We, we did a couple of independently with a couple of other people. How many have been done now, Dwayne? Starting number 21. All right. So. 21 of those in uh, in Eastern PA. And so I'll tell you the pastor's track, and then Dwayne can tell you the track that we do with, with lay leaders. So we go in and meet for six months. We do an intro session. We never force a church to do this. It's always up to the church. We'll say, don't give us an answer tonight. Here's what the program looks like, but don't give us an answer tonight. Uh, you pray about it and call us in, in two weeks and tell us if you want to do it. Uh, if you're, if they're forced to do it, they won't engage, they won't own it, and therefore they won't really implement what you're asking them to implement. So uh, once they've said yes, and 
They never said no. They always said yes. <laughs> Once they said yes, uh, we uh, work with the pastor six months in a row. And, it, and then after we meet with him in the afternoon, we meet with the lay leaders in the evening. With the pastor, there are basically uh, three things or two things that we're doing. We're trying to help him understand how he's wired and how well he fits the ideal profile of, of a uh, turnaround pastor or changing course pastor. And uh, we're not looking at that as a pass or fail. We're looking at that as what do you need to improve on? What do you need to work on? Because we really don't go into a church wanting to wanting to change pastors. We go into the church wanting to help the pastor change mm. so that he can, he can lead. Uh, so two things. That assessment, we use typically use an IDAC assessment of that pastor to help him know where he needs to improve. So for instance, uh, we had a pastor one time who, who said in the midst of that IDAC, had to admit, I'm a pessimist. And, and I can't give hope to my church if I'm a pessimist. Another church, another pastor that said, I have to admit, I'm singular relational, and I got to get out of my comfort zone and connect with people more, especially on Sunday morning when he tended to hide away. Uh, but, but he realized he needed to get out in the foyer and sanctuary and meet people. Second piece is we walk alongside the pastor as he develops a strategic plan for the next year in the life of the church. Most plateau and declining churches do not have a plan. And so this gives them an intentional plan. And it's a prayer-based ministry uh, program, uh, changing course consultation. Uh, they pray at the beginning of every lay leadership time. We're asking them to pray every day. Uh, and, and, you know, it acknowledges that God is the only one who turns around a church. So we want that strategic plan. We want that pastor to listen with one ear with, with the, to the leadership team as they talk and discuss the ministry of the church. And we also want him to listen to God. And get alone with God and listen to God. And what does God have for your church? And so that pastor is little by little developing over six months a strategic plan uh, for the life of the church in the next year. That eventually the lay leaders get to speak into. They speak into it right along, but they get to speak into it in a final way and then eventually stake into the congregation. In the lay leadership meetings, Dwayne will describe what happens to you in each of those six months. So the leadership team is made up not just of like the board of elders, but it can be other key influential people uh, in the church. Uh, so that team is formed. And then so at the same days, the same months that the pastor has their meeting, then we meet with the leadership team following that. Um, the leadership team is always has a reading assignment. They're always working through the book, reading through the, the changing course book, uh, which is an awesome read. So um that's Amen. part of the process. <laughs> but in our first uh, session together, um, we spend a lot of time talking about the vital signs of the church, looking at the church statistics, um, trying to understand their vision, mission, vision statements, values, those kind of things. A lot of this is just trying to help them see their own story, kind of get a snapshot of their reality. Uh, what's interesting is as you put numbers in front of them and and by all means, numbers don't tell the entire story. Numbers just help to shed light on the story of the church. Um, but during that time, they can they start to things get revealed. For instance, I'll give you a quick example. A lot of times, you put the numbers in front of people, and they'll see, "Wow, our giving has been really good over the last ten years." And they completely ignore the fact that their baptisms and conversion numbers were zeros. I mean, just show, tell us part of the story. Something like that. 
So we help them to see their reality. That's part of that first session. It's just going through all that, talking about their their membership and their newcomer flow. How many people come in? Um, do they stick or not? Uh, how much is there a backdoor issue to the church? Trying to actually get that picture of the of the church as a whole and helping them to see it in reality, not in their perceived reality uh, in their minds. So that's pretty much uh, session one. Um, session two, we talk about those things that we just talked about earlier, those four key components, um, the hope and the worship and uh, outreach and so forth. That's where our main focus is uh, on session two. Session three, we walk through a complete walkthrough and tour of the uh, property and facility. Um, but we do so uh, with one thing in mind, and that is you need to do that with newcomer glasses on and try to say, what does the church look like to somebody who will be coming in for the very first time? We want them to experience that and actually see it uh, that way. Um, sometimes they do. Um, sometimes they don't. We're happy to point those things out to them that they don't see. Um, <laughs> but we tend to walk by things all the time. We tend to, we tend to get used to the, the clutter in our world um, around us. So helping them to see that is very helpful. Uh, we actually, as a, as a result of that whole evening, we literally do this tour and put together uh, a punch list of all the things that we see in, in a building. And some of these might be just first impression concerns. Some of them might be building functions. Some of them might be safety issues, signage, those kind of things, you know. So we like to put a punch list together and then allow them to work through that punch list of the team at a later date, find that low hanging fruit that they can do and then, uh, schedule some bigger things uh, for a later time. Session four. Yeah, what's session four? Well, I'm going to just do a blank on session, session four. Session four is the building one that you just talked about. Session three. You're right. Session three is the ministry, the ministry audit. Is the ministry audit. Sorry, I've got them out of order. You're right. <laughs> session three is the, is the ministry audit where we sit down with a group and they completely will put every ministry um, that they know of in their church, their church does. Uh, on a big whiteboard or something like that is what we normally do. We have them just write these all down. We just do an inventory of all of them. And then we start walking them through a series of questions. Questions like on each per, each one of those ministries, are, are they an inward-focused ministry or an outward-focused ministry? And it's not that, not that you should have all outward focus and no inward focus, but what it does is it, when you see it all on one big board, you can look back and start to see a balance and see whether you actually have a balance or not. Uh, we also talk about the effectiveness and uh, the ineffectiveness of ministries. Also ask them to dream about what things they would, that are passionate about, they would really love to see uh, ministries in their church and, and outreaches and so forth. And what this does is it gives them a chance to look at what they're doing, look where they're placing their energy and finding out if there might be a, a shift involved, if there might be a place where they could do a better job of actually using their talents, using their um, what the community really needs around them, uh, and actually putting that together and becoming more effective in ministry. So that's a really awesome, uh, awesome time. The fifth session is where we spend some time uh, really deep digging into the uh, spiritual condition of the church, um, looking for any of those places uh, where... Um, there might be some, some sin in a camp 
uh, things that have been brushed under the rug or things that are hindering the, the movement of the spirit in the church. So we go through that um, with some heavy prayer time, with some good, honest, open discussion. We have had situations where we literally had to, where a church board has come and said, or a leadership team has said, you know, a, a, church, a pastor in the past, he left in a, the way he, the way he left, we did not handle, handle it well. And they wrote an apology letter to clear those kind of things up. It was, it was really cool. I could tell you more stories about those, but that's what that focus is about. And then the sixth session, the last one is really where the, the pastor's plan that he's been working on this whole time gets presented to the leadership team. And we go through that section by section and give the leadership team a chance to speak into uh, tweaks, uh, tweak that a little bit, uh, and then make a commitment to it uh, so that then they can walk out at the end of that meeting virtually arm in arm uh, and take that to the congregation and move forward. That's great. And I think uh, along the way, you guys have learned the value of having an outside consultant because when a church tries to do it themselves, they just can't see some of these things from the right perspective without a little help. Uh, so now you two, you're taking it on the road. You know, you're going <laughs> to be uh, preparing. Well, everything you learned from changing course in Eastern PA and seek to help others in the Alliance family with this uh, to take the next step uh, in this changing course endeavor. What's in store for the Alliance family in, in the possible use of changing course? Yeah. So in Church Advance, uh, which is how we address established churches, we've developed five key tools or embrace five key tools. I won't list all of those just to say that changing course is one of those to help our plateau and declining churches. And so uh, next week, the week after we're recording this podcast, uh, we'll be training hopefully about 40, maybe more people in, uh, in the changing course consultation. So we're trying to, we, we've taken what we did at the local church, multiplied that to the district level, and now we're trying to take what we did at the district level and multiply that at the national level. Some districts are doing other things. Those are, if those are effective, great. They don't have to do this. We're not saying it's the only plan that works. We've just found it to be a plan that's helpful uh, to churches. So we'd, lo- we'd love to see that spread to the 27 uh, districts of the Christian Missionary Alliance and see our two-thirds plateaued and declining church maybe dropped down to half, uh, half of our churches. We'd love to see 100% of our churches growing and vital, obviously, but that's not going to happen. Uh, probably not going to happen at all, but it's certainly not going to happen overnight. So that's our desire. Training up new consultants to go out and do the changing course uh, consultation in their district. Yeah, because something needs to be done, that's for sure. You know, the way you're talking reminds me of uh, – the time that somebody complained to D.L. Moody about his way of evangelism and his response was, well, I like the way I do evangelism better than the way you don't do evangelism. True. And I think same can be said here, you know, nobody, if you're not doing something, you got to do something. And if you're not doing anything, then changing course is a great place to start. Amen. Agreed. It has been great to be able to turn the tables here and put Terry on the hot seat and to have my friend Dwayne here too. And I can say that I have witnessed the results of that in Eastern PA. And so this was an easy interview for me to do because I can endorse it. And I'm happy to see it going not just from Emmanuel and then to Eastern PA, but to uh, the Alliance across the nation. I think we'll see some fruit that will help us uh, in the long run um, make and multiply disciples. So thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Our pleasure, Alan. Love being with you. Great to have the 
old team back together again. <laughs> yes, it is. Too bad Beth Loro and Brenda Verna weren't here and Javier Godoy. There you go. <laughs> Good times. Thanks, my friend. Well, I enjoyed that episode a lot with Terry and Dwayne. Truly respect them, and uh, and the proof is in the pudding. We've seen change churches in Eastern PA. Uh, my Jersey girlfriend, Caitlin, uh, tell us, uh, what's something you appreciated about today's interview? Well, first of all, I, I always appreciate every time that I get to hear Terry speak. Um, and I'm partially sucking up, but not really. He's given me a thumbs up. You guys can't see that. Um, no, I, it's really encouraging, first of all, just to, cause you know, I've, I know what changing course is, but I don't know the history of it. So to hear the history, first of all, and how God has used it and the next steps of what God is empowering, um, Terry and Dwayne to do is really awesome. Um, I've been a part of churches that, you know, I've seen kind of like what Terry and um, Dwayne were talking about, where um, churches oftentimes have a lot of these, I call them sacred cows. Um, of, of Yep. So the things that um, they've done because they've done them for a long time, or they've done because, you know, you, you get into rhythms and, and you don't even really realize and reevaluate what your ministries and programs are actually accomplishing. So I think uh, that was one of the things that stuck out to me as being really important when it comes to church revitalization is we, we've got to take the time to really look at, you know, what are the things that, that really matter to us and that are core identity and what are the things that we need to shift? So that was encouraging to hear. That is very encouraging. I appreciate that. And if a church is not willing to deal with those sacred cows, they could be headed for utter disaster. So, okay. <laughs> that is so important for them. So our friends out there uh, who appreciate puns uh, and all of you who appreciate the input of Terry and Dwayne today, share this around. Uh, we are, want you to share it far and wide. Remember, it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play. It's on Spotify as well. Of course, it's on our Podbean site. Uh, you can text it. You can tweet it. You can Facebook it. You can actually your pigeon. over to somebody, show it on to them on their computer and tell them to push play. So you could do it totally analog style. So uh, that's it. But thanks for joining us. And thanks for being our listeners on season four of the Equipping You podcast. Until then, the next time on season five, keep the faith. If I could add one more thing just before we wrap the interview up, Alan and Caitlin, I want to tell you why this is also vitally important. It's vitally important because we need every church in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, every evangelical church across the Christian Missionary Alliance focused on reaching lost people. We don't re revitalize churches for the sake of any organization or the sake of any denomination. We revitalize churches so that they are effective and fruitful in winning people to Jesus Christ. The greatest thing about the story of the Turnaround Church at Emmanuel is people who came to know Christ and had their lives forever transformed because they met Jesus in that revitalized church. It's Amanda, it's Roger, uh, it's uh, Bridget, it's Chuck, it's others, and they are the reason we need to revitalize churches so that people can come to know Jesus Christ. I, I think we would miss a vital point if we didn't say that before we end. Amen. 100%. Thanks for that, Terry. And I think, as you always say, keep the faith. I think that's what it means to keep the faith. Yeah. It's the faith that 
the faith that we have that changes lives and advances the kingdom. Amen. So, all right. Thanks a lot. Until next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.